Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. And we're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. When I first moved to Las Vegas, Nevada, almost 17 years ago now, when I first got here, I came from a culture in a small town in the Bible Belt in the South where it's like everybody knew Easter. Everybody knew what Easter was. And I'll never forget when I moved here, one of the, the first questions that just really rocked me was I had a neighbor three doors down. And this neighbor that lived just a few doors down from me, we lived here a couple of months now, and we were having a small gathering at our house on Easter. And all of our neighbors knew by this point, we'd met them all, and they all knew that we'd moved here to start a new church. And so I reached out to this neighbor two doors down to her family and invited them over to our home on Easter the first Easter we lived in Las Vegas for just a small gathering, just a few people hanging out on Easter. And I'll never forget the question that she asked me. She said, what is Easter about? And then she said this. She said, what does Easter have to do with starting a church? She had no concept. And I just got to be honest, where I come from, even people that don't know the Lord and don't go to church, they can, they can just bluff their way through the Easter conversation. They, they know the deal. And I'll never forget her asking me that question. And it really struck me about where I had moved and where we now lived in the city where we are. And here's the reality. There are a whole lot of people who live in our city and there are a whole lot of people all over the world, but particularly here in our city that we live in, that have no idea what Easter is all about. And so I thought, you know, if, if somebody in Las Vegas wanted to know what Easter is all about, what would they do? And I, I thought, well, we do what everybody does in 2017, right? When you want to know what something's about, when you got a question, what do you do? You Google it, right? So, so that's what I did. This Wednesday morning, I'm sitting in my office over in the other building, and I Googled that question. What is Easter all about? And to my surprise, Wednesday morning, the Las Vegas Sun, our newspaper, released an article. They published an article called All About Easter. Here's a quote from the article this Wednesday here in Las Vegas. The Las Vegas Sun said the majority of Americans spend the Easter holiday eating. I knew I'd get at least one there. Worshiping and visiting family and friends. That was kind of their, their headline of the article. And they went on through the article describing all of the kind of customs and traditions that surround the Easter celebration. And they said something in the article that was striking. They said that this year, the expectation is that Americans are going to spend a record amount of money this Easter weekend. This year, they're projecting that Americans will spend $18.4 billion with a B. 
billion celebrating Easter. And here was the breakdown. $5.8 billion on food for my brother over here in the back. $3.3 billion on clothes. $2.9 billion on gifts. $2.6 billion on candy. A lot of those in the shape of bunny rabbits, right? $1.2 billion on flowers. $1.1 billion on decorations. And the measly $788 million on greeting cards. Now, is that what Easter I mean, the headline of the article was all about Easter. As much as I value Google as a research tool, and as much as I appreciate the the research and the emphasis of the Las Vegas Sun, tonight we have a better source to find the answer to the question, what is Easter all about? And that source is the Bible. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, we have recorded in the New Testament the very first person who ever told the story of what happened on the very first Easter weekend. The very first person who ever told the story about what happened on the first Easter weekend is contained right here in the Bible. What we're about to read is not speculation about what happened on the first Easter weekend. What we're about to read is eyewitness testimony to the details of Easter weekend. If you have your Bible tonight, I want you to open it to Acts chapter 2. I know some of you got a curveball right there. You thought I was going to a gospel But you got to realize the Gospels were written a few years after what I'm about to read for you happened. In Acts chapter 2, 40 days roughly after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Simon Peter stood up in in the city of Jerusalem and he told the story of what happened on the first Easter weekend and it's the first record of the proclamation that we have. Acts chapter 2, I want to read three verses beginning in verse 22. Look what it says. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst just as you yourselves know. Don't miss this as we're reading it. He's proclaiming this with the assumption that most of the people in the audience had lived through what he's talking about. They know what he's talking about because they also saw it with their own eyes. Verse 23. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Peter was a feel-good kind of preacher, right? He just wanted to make everybody feel comfortable. 
Verse 24. But God raised him up again. Putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Those three verses really summarize the entire Easter story. And Peter breaks it down for us into three parts. And I want to give you those three parts tonight so that when we leave here, we can all... If anybody asks you this weekend what's Easter all about, you're going to be able to tell them these three things. Here's the first one. Easter is about who Jesus is. It's about who Jesus is. The first verse here, verse 22, when Peter opens his sermon, the first words out of his mouth are, Jesus the Nazarene. He wanted them to understand that the meaning of Easter begins and ends with the person of Jesus Christ. My neighbor 17 years ago had no idea that Easter had anything to do with Jesus. But here's the reality. There is no Easter without Jesus. There's no Easter without Jesus. Jesus is what Easter is all about. And, and so Peter opens by telling us that, that Easter is what he's all about. What, or Easter, Jesus is what Easter is all about. And he breaks it down for us in a few statements. He first of all tells us about Jesus. He said Jesus was a man. It's interesting that he opens by saying Jesus the Nazarene. It's the most rare description of Jesus in the Gospels. It's it's the title that is least often used to refer to him. We hear Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Son of God, Jesus the Son of Man. But, But Peter, in introducing him here, says Jesus the Nazarene. And he does that to point out the fact that Jesus was a man. Jesus is not a mythological figure from the from from that somebody made up Jesus is not a fairy tale Jesus Christ is Jesus the Nazarene he was a real historical figure Here's what RCH Linsky the German author and scholar says about this phrase Jesus the Nazarene He said Jesus the Nazarene is the ordinary name by which he was commonly known The personal name Jesus with Nazarene from the town of his long residence added in order to distinguish him from others who had the same personal name. Here's what that means. Jesus wasn't the only Jesus running around in his time period. Jesus was a very common name. There were a lot of people named Jesus in this period of time. And so to distinguish who he's talking about to these people, he said, Jesus, the one from Nazareth, Jesus The Nazarene. Jesus was a man. So when we think about Easter, we're thinking about Jesus, the man. But here's the second thing about Jesus. Jesus was no ordinary man. The Bible says about him, Peter says, Jesus, the Nazarene, whom was attested to us by God. The word attested is a word that means to show Publicly, And here's what it means. This word means that God publicly marked the life of Jesus as unlike any other life that had ever lived on planet Earth. 
Jesus was a man from Nazareth. But Jesus was a man unlike any man who had ever walked on the face of the earth. And Peter says, you know it because God publicly displayed it. Well, how did he do that? Peter said he did it with miracles and wonders and signs. What does that mean? Well, this phrase miracle here is a word that simply means the extraordinary power of God unleashed in the middle of our everyday lives. Here's what Peter says. Hey, Easter, it's all about who Jesus is. Jesus the Nazarene. He was a man, but he was no ordinary man. And we all know that because we watched him live his life. And day by day, we saw the sovereign power of God unleashed through him into our lives. If you study the Gospels, there are 36 recorded miracles of Jesus in the New Testament. 36 recorded miracles in the Gospels in particular. And you have to understand, I'm a history major. I majored in history in college. And I love the the study of history. And one of the parts of studying history is understanding the historical accuracy of the documents from different time periods. And we don't have the time to go into all of it, but you need to understand that the Gospels, the New Testament, are the single most documented source of antiquity. There is no other work of history that stands the test of historical criticism like the New Testament. And the New Testament contains for us 36 different stories of the miraculous work of Jesus Christ. And if those 36 weren't enough for us to understand that there was something extraordinary about his life, John closes his gospel by saying this. Listen to what John said in John 21, 25. John said, there are also many other things which Jesus did which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. Did you hear that? Peter says, you know what Easter's about? It's about this man named Jesus from Nazareth. But he was no ordinary man. He was a man that God marked as a man who was like no other man that has ever walked on the face of the earth. And one of the ways we know that is we saw this demonstration of the power of God through his life in these things called miracles. And 36 of them are recorded. And John says, who walked with him for three and a half years, if we'd written them all down, there's not enough pens or paper in all of the world to contain the wonder and the glory of the power of Jesus on paper. There's never been it. Listen, when I say miracles, I know we live in Las Vegas. We think about guys down here on the strip doing the little magic tricks that kind of make people go, woo-woo. But Dr. Gregory Boyd is a man with a master's degree from Yale and a Ph.D. from Princeton. Listen to what he says about the miracles of Jesus. The radical nature of his miracles distinguishes him. It did not just rain when he prayed for it. We're talking about blindness, deafness, leprosy, and scoliosis being healed, storms being stopped, 
bread and fish being multiplied, sons and daughters being raised from the dead. Jesus Christ was a man, but he was no ordinary man. He demonstrated power over nature, over disease, over demons, and over death. And Peter says it was so miraculous. They're not just miracles. He says they're wonders. The word wonder is a Greek word that comes from a root that means to keep watch. And what this term means is that these miracles were so profound that they had been seen. And you, once you saw it, you could never forget it. For the rest of your life, you were telling people, I was there when it happened. And he says they were signs. And that's a Greek word that means the finger marks of God. God publicly marked out this man's life as like no other that had ever been seen. Peter adds those phrases at the end of verse 22. He did it in your midst. It's a Greek word that means right in the middle of you. Here's here's what Peter was doing. He was circling in his audience and saying, hey, you can't deny this because you saw it with your own eyes. It happened right in front of you, right in your midst. You know that he did these things. So so Peter says Easter is all about who Jesus is. He says Jesus is a man, but he was no ordinary man. And I know what you're thinking. How is it possible that a man could do all of this? Well, it's because Jesus was more than a man. You see, it'd be one thing if we gathered this weekend to simply celebrate the life of a man who lived 2,000 years ago. But what we understand from Scripture is Jesus was a man, but he was more than a man. Let me show you a verse where Paul writes about it in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. Look at this verse of Scripture. Paul said, for in him, talking about Jesus, all the, what is this word right here? Say it out loud. That word fullness is a word that means sum total. It means the entire totality of something. For in Jesus, all the fullness of what? Say it out loud. Dwells in bodily form. You know what that means? Jesus is all that God is with skin on. Jesus is not just a man. He's not just a man who worked miracles. Easter is a celebration that the God who created everything you and I can see, taste, touch, feel, or smell. That God became a man and he made himself known to us. Peter opens by saying, Jesus. But there's a second part to the story. Easter is not just about who Jesus is. You ready for the second part? Easter is Is about what you did. Did you hear that? Did you know that you and I have a part in the Easter story? 
when you think about Easter, there's a lot of characters that we think about, right? We think about the angel at the tomb. We think about the women that came to the tomb. We think about Peter and John that ran to the tomb to, to look in. There, there are a lot of characters when we think about Easter weekend. We think about the Roman soldiers that, that put those nails in his hands and feet. We think about Pilate who delivered him over to be crucified. We think about the Jews in the street screaming, crucify him. But did you know that you and I are a character in the story of Easter? Let me show it to you. Put verse 23 back up here on the screen. This man, what man? The one that's more than a man. The one that's God in the flesh. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Get ready for it. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men, and you put him to death. That phrase, put him to death, was a phrase borrowed out of Greek culture that meant to murder or kill by execution. I want you to listen to what Peter said. Jesus, this miracle-working, God-in-the-flesh man who you've seen, who you know, who you've watched him as he's performed miracles, you know the town that he came from, this God-in-the-flesh Jesus, you murdered him by execution. I know what you're thinking. Uh, wh- wh- whoa. whoa, back up there, pastor. <laughs> that you is talking about those people he's talking to in the crowd who were there that, that drove the nails into his hands and feet. It's the you that stood there and shouted, crucify him. That's got to be who he's talking about, well, that's partially true, but there's more to the story. Let me show you Isaiah 53 in verse 5. The prophet Isaiah said, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Here's what this means. It was your sin, and it was my sin that murdered the Son of God on that Friday afternoon 2,000 years ago. Let me unpack that for you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, The Bible says a simple little phrase, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I love this phrase because it points to our past and it looks at our future. It means if we look back in the past, all of us can say, Yep, I've missed the mark of God's divine design. All of us, if we look at God's standard of righteousness, even if you just simplify it to the Ten Commandments, Even if you just simplify it to one of them, thou shalt not lie. 
If we boiled the whole standard of righteousness down to one commandment, thou shalt not lie. The Bible says we can all look back and say we've all sinned. If you agree with that, say amen. If you didn't, you're now in. You just lied. As we look back at our past, we've all sinned against God. We've broken God's laws. But not just in our past. Here's present tense. And we still fall short continuously of the standard of his righteousness. Here's what that means. If we're going to be honest, I'm going to tell you today, I fell short of the standard of God's glorious righteousness. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I know what you're thinking. If if everybody sinned, what's the big deal? Let me show it to you. Romans 6 says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. You know what a wage is. It's something that you earn. If you worked 40 hours this week and you make $10 an hour... You earned $400. It's yours. It belongs to you. You deserve it. Amen? You work 40 hours this week. You make 10 bucks an hour. That $400 is yours, right? You have a right to it. Why? Because it's your wage. You've earned it. It's mine. Here's what the Bible says. Because... We've sinned against God. We've earned something. It's mine. I deserve it. Here's what I deserve. I deserve death. The penalty for sin is death. If we all get what we deserve, We'll live a life of spiritual death, which is separation from God. One day we will die physically, and then we will spend an eternity separated from God. Why? Because that's what our sin has earned us. It belongs to us, left to ourselves. There's not one thing we can do to change that condition. We've sinned against God in our past. We continue to fall short of God's standard of righteousness. And because of that, we deserve to die. And we deserve to spend eternity separated from God. But Peter said that God took his son and he delivered him over. It literally is a Greek term that means to be handed over or to be given up. It's the only place in the entire New Testament this word is used. God handed over his son. Why? So that he could die in our. People say, how can it be called Good Friday? We're talking about somebody dying. Let me tell you why it's Good Friday. Because it wasn't me. I deserve to die. I have earned death. 
I broke the law of God. I stepped over the law of God. I transgressed against the righteousness of God. I deserve to die. But God sent his son to die in my place. Listen. He did not die for me so I would not have to. Listen, he died for me because there was nothing I could do on my own to atone for my sin. That's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 5 and he says this. Listen, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. He died on the cross. Jesus took all of your sin. And he took all of my sin. And he died in our place. But that is also not the end of the Easter story. Easter is all about who Jesus is. Easter is all about what you and I did. But finally, Easter is about what God did. Let me show you what God did in verse 24. Look what it says. But... God raised him up again. Jesus Christ died for our sin. And if all he did was die, you and I still have no hope. But he did not stay dead. God the Father raised him from the dead. A lot of people argue and they say, what makes Jesus so special? There are all kinds of religions. There are all kinds of religious leaders and philosophers who've lived. What makes Jesus so unique? <laughs> you, can, you ever heard of a man named Muhammad? Muhammad claimed to be God's chief prophet. He founded a religion called Islam. He gave a place to Jesus, but it wasn't the chief place. He said Jesus was a prophet, but Muhammad claimed to be the chief prophet. But on June the 8th, 632 A.D., Muhammad died in Medina. And today you can visit a mosque called the Green Dome in Saudi Arabia that contains the remains of Muhammad, the great prophet. He is dead and his body is in the ground. You can read in history of a man named Gandhi. Gandhi claimed to know the truth about spirituality and the way to know God. But on June the 30th, 1948, Gandhi was shot and killed and his ashes were then burned and spread throughout India. After his ashes were spread, the Hindustan Standard, the national newspaper of India, reported this in the paper. Gandhi has been killed. The second crucifixion in the history of the world has been enacted on a Friday. 
The same day Jesus was done to death 1,915 years ago. My friends, Gandhi may have had a Friday like Jesus' Friday. But he did not have a Sunday like Jesus' Sunday. You can get on an airplane and you can go visit the remains of Muhammad. You can travel with me to India and we can see the places where the ashes of Gandhi have been spread. But if we travel to the city of Jerusalem and we go to the tomb where the body of Jesus used to lay, there is no body there. He is alive. He's alive. Why are we here today? Let me tell you why we're here. He's alive. He's alive. And God says in his word here that when Jesus rose again, get this, he said it put an end to the agony of death. Here's what that means. Death is no longer an end for those who have life in Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the defining testimony that God accepted his sacrifice for our sins. Now we can be forgiven and have eternal life. We can be forgiven. You say, how do I get in on that? I'm so glad you asked. Here's the last verse I'll show you out of Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has what? Say it out loud. Raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let me tell you what Easter is all about. It's about who Jesus is. God who came to make himself known to us. It's about what we did. Our sin nailed him to a cross. (laughs) But it's also about what God did. God the Father raised him from the dead, defeating death, hell, and the grave so that now you and I can be born again by faith into relationship with God and death is no longer an end. Death is simply a passageway to a better place. We get life here, relationship with God, and life for all eternity in a place called heaven. How do I get in on that? If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, tonight I pray in these moments that your Holy Spirit would speak as only you can. God, I pray for those that are here that do not know Jesus. I pray right now that your Spirit would bring conviction that would lead to salvation. If you're here right now and you're a Christian, you already know Jesus, I'm going to ask you right now, to just pray. Pray right now that the Spirit of God would open the hearts of those that don't know Him to the gospel. You just pray. You just pray. You just pray. Pray for your row. Just pray. If you're here tonight and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've never understood what I've shared with you tonight that It was your sin that nailed him to a cross. That God loved you so much that he was not going to leave you where you were in your sin. He loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. 
then he raised him from the dead as a testimony that all that needed to be done to, to pay for our sin, all was done in Christ. Now you and I can experience salvation and forgiveness. If you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never done what that verse said, believed. That that phrase, confess and believe, both of those words have the element of faith in there. You are acknowledging and trusting in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior right where you're sitting, if you'd like to know Him, I want to invite you to give your life to Him tonight. You can leave here knowing that you have a relationship with God, knowing that everything that needs to be done to take care of your sin and to give you a relationship with God and an eternity in heaven has all been accomplished in Jesus. All you got to do is call on Him. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Now, it's not the words of a prayer that brings salvation. It's faith in the gospel, faith in the finished work of Jesus that brings salvation. But that confess and believe, it's the idea of calling out on Him. If you want to call out on Jesus to be saved right now, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if this is the desire of your heart, you just pray these words there in your seat after me. Say, Lord Jesus... I know that I sinned against you. I know that because of my sin, I deserve death. But I know that you love me and you came and died in my place and you rose again defeating death you paid for my sin and right now Jesus I ask you to save me come into my life forgive me of my sin and be my Lord and Savior Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Now, with nobody looking around right now but me, if for the very first time in your life you just prayed with me and you've given your life to Jesus, nobody's looking around but me right now. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm going to pray for everyone that does what I'm about to ask you to do. I'm just going to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if you just prayed with me, And you said, I've given my life to Jesus. With nobody looking but me right now, I want you to just raise your hand and just hold it up for just a second. You just prayed, God bless you, God bless you, somebody else. God bless you, God bless you, somebody else. Well, wait just a moment. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, sir. Somebody else. God bless you back there. God bless you, sir. God bless you. For the very first time tonight, I've given my life to Jesus. Just raise your hand. Well, wait just another moment. All right, with nobody looking right now but me, if you just raised your hand, I just want you to look at me. Just look at me. Just look at me for just a moment. Just look at me. I want to tell you something. Listen. Welcome to the family of God. Welcome. Listen. 
I'm about to pray for you. I'm about to pray for you. But welcome. Listen, you don't have to do one thing to earn a right standing before God. It was all done in Jesus. You now get to live out of the overflow of the freedom that you now have in Christ. Christ has come to live in you, and He desires to live through you as you pursue Him daily. That's it. You've been forgiven. Listen, you are right with God. You're right with God. Your place in heaven is settled for eternity. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for every one of these people that just raised their hand. Thank you, God, for what you've done in saving them tonight. Lord, we bless you. We worship you. We praise you. Lord, I pray right now that your spirit would give them assurance. God, that they would sense a peace that passes all comprehension. Lord, that the bondage and the weight and the guilt of sin would just be removed through the power of the presence of the Spirit of God. That they would know that they leave here tonight a loved and accepted child of God. All because of Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you let these folks know how excited we are for them tonight? Amen. Amen. Amen.